Come on. Savage, Savage Approach to Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Carolyn McClanahan. Carolyn, are you ready to do this? I am ready to do this. Excellent. Let's do this. Carolyn is an MD, as in Doctor of Medicine, as well as a CFP. After graduating from medical school, she became an emergency room physician. In 2004, she founded Life Planning Partners, Inc. to provide the type of personalized financial planning she and her husband desired. She's a member of the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, the Financial Planning Association, and the American Academy of Family Physicians. She's a national speaker on the interplay between health and financial issues. I'm excited to have you on. Carolyn, tell us a little bit about your personal life, your professional background, and why you do what you do. Well, my personal life, I think you um, didn't cover that part for fun. I um, have, my husband's a cat lady, so I have, (laughs) um, we have a number of cats, and I um, throw the javelin, and I do everything related to health and personal finance. That's my love and my hobby and my spare time for my financial planning practice. So professionally, I think you covered a little bit of that. I started out as a doctor. And my husband was an aerospace engineer, hated his job. We had inherited a little bit of money back in the mid-90s and invested it and thought we were brilliant. We didn't know that we were just very lucky at the time and um, tried to find a financial planner in 2000 who could help us figure out whether he could quit his job and become a track coach. And um, if you don't know, track coaches don't get paid a lot. And I said, honey, I'm not going to support you. So you got to we got to get this figured out. All those planners were all about, you know, managing investments and selling your products, but not really about doing real financial planning. So that's why I went back to school for fun to learn about financial planning. I fell in love with it, and I um, opened my own firm in 2004, Life Planning Partners Incorporated, and uh, started out just me and realized um, how many things that I saw intersections between health and personal finance could make financial planners um, better financial planners and do a better job for their clients. So started speaking about that topic and it became very popular and um, I realized that I couldn't just be alone in my firm and created an ensemble. So now there's um, six of us total, four advisors and um, we have an ensemble firm where we all take care of all the clients. So I spent about a third of my time out there educating other advisors on all the things they need to think about when it comes to health and personal finance. Well, I think that that's exciting. And so often it happens that people find what they're, what they're, I don't want to call it a calling because medicine certainly may be a calling of yours as well, but in additional area of interest, just by trying to solve a personal problem. So I certainly You're commend exactly you for that. You're exactly right. <laughs> yep. So tell me a little bit about some of the through lines that that are are, are most prevalent between medicine and finance. Well, you know, it's actually the people say, gosh, that is a big change from being a doctor to becoming a financial planner. But in reality, it's the same thing, except in in medicine, you're taking care of a person's health. In finance, you're taking care of their money. You know, so you're still you're figuring out what are the problems and what can be done to solve the problems, and then you're helping them implement those things to fix the problems. And, you know, in regards to all the intersections, gosh, you know, people are worried about health care costs. So 
how can they mitigate healthcare costs? How, what can they do to navigate our crazy situation we're in now? Um, you know, aging issues, and we see a lot of you know elders at, at risk of fraud and abuse. So I do a lot of education on how to um, reduce the risk of fraud and abuse in elderly clients and help them prepare for the transitions of aging that can get very expensive, like the living transitions, when to quit driving when to turn over your financial caretaking, then talking about chronic illness planning. You know, what do you do if you get a serious illness? How do you um, manage the finances around that? And even, you know, that hard topic of end of life. If somebody's diagnosed with a serious illness at end of life, um, what can a financial planner do to um, help that client given their, you know, horrible situation? You know, when the, a person's biggest worry usually when they're diagnosed with something like that is not about actually the illness, it's about finances. So, you know, for an advisor to learn how to deal with all that is, is powerful. I completely agree. I think that there are so many different similarities and oftentimes would liken somebody's first visit to a financial advisor like going to the doctor's office. And obviously, if the physician is going to do a good job of making a diagnosis, they need to know a lot more than just how you're feeling today right? Right. That's so, exactly right. And I also think that there's too many people in the financial industry who are just focused on the symptoms and they're not really trying to, or I don't know if it's a matter of they're not trying to, but they're not getting down to the actual root causes of what people's financial issues really are because oftentimes it goes a lot deeper. So, oh, you're exactly right, and, and it, actually, they don't even sometimes get to the symptoms. They're they're out there trying to push a drug that's not even needed before even knowing if there are any symptoms. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a great point. So, I mean, so much experience, obviously, in medicine, and now um, so much experience in the financial world as well. If you can isolate just a, maybe a couple of different areas that, if people made an improvement, would give them the greatest amount of opportunity to, to be successful? Well, I mean, to me, it's, success is differently defined for for different people. And the, the key is, so I, I, I'm going to change your question a little sure. bit. Um, so what's the key thing that people could do that's going to make them um, wildly happy in today? Because today is all you know you have for certain. And you may not even have all of today. And so the number one thing I think people need to do is become at peace with their financial life. As far as, and we're just talking money here, I think everybody should, if, if they're not happy, they should do what it, what it takes to um, become internally happy because that that ends up bringing a lot of financial peace. And so when I talk about financial peace, that means, you know, understanding exactly what money means to you and realizing that money's the tool and not the object and um, making certain that, that you understand that owning things and buying things have a carrying cost whereas using money for things such as experiences and you know great relationships you know doing fun things together um, has a much added value and, and ends up being cheaper in the long run so um, I, I know that's very broad but so to bring them success which to me means bringing happiness within your financial peace that would that would be the number one learning how to um, be at peace with money in your life yeah, I think that that's really great advice, and it's so difficult for us to do, and for a variety of reasons. But it seems like every time we turn on any form of media or technology, there's signals about 
uh, call them wealth signals and pictures of fancy cars and big houses and flashy lifestyles. And I think it's difficult for people to to really differentiate, well, that's not necessarily what's going to make me happy. And just because that's a celebrated thing doesn't mean that that's going to be the right thing for me. So. All right. Well, you know what's so funny about that is, you know, I grew up in a um, lower middle income family and, um, you know, didn't know I was that we were fairly, we were considered poor until I got to med school and I got a full scholarship to my first year of the med school because I was the poorest person in the class. I mean, oh. and, um, you know, so I guess, you know, your, what, whatever your um, experiences are really kind of shape that and learning how to understand what your experiences bring to your attitude towards money. But I remember being a young kid and um, in growing, I grew up in Mississippi. My dad was in the military. Um, my family wasn't from there, but that's where we ended up. And I remember saying to a friend of mine, you know, when I'm when I grow up, I'm going to be rich and famous and have a Lamborghini. And then um, when I as I grew and realized, you know, what was more important, especially in medicine, when you see people dying way too young and having serious medical problems they're grappling with, I realized, you know, that really wasn't important. And um, the other day, though, they came out with that two hundred thousand dollar Lamborghini SUV. I said, wow, that's pretty. But, you know, <laughs> it's not something I'm going to buy. A two hundred thousand dollar Lamborghini SUV. I, I now I have something to look up later today. Yeah, look it up. It's it's gorgeous, but it's like you know you realize what all that could be done with that money, and right. you know, do you want to put it in something somebody's going to probably key key the car or something? Yes. <laughs> so why would you do that? Do you think that that your mission or your purpose as uh, as a financial advisor is is similar, if not identical, to your mission or purpose as a as a physician? Oh, I, I definitely think it is. It's, you know, and it's actually very different from how most physicians and financial planners are. I realize, you know, life is so precious and trying to, and I actually just wrote an article. I write for Forbes and I, I um, released a new article today that talks about how much time we spend planning for the future when we really need to focus more on planning for now. And I'm trying to change that conversation in personal finance too is, is, you know, it's, it's great to get people to help to plan. You've got to, you know, prepare for whatever the future throws, but you can't try to predict it. And so it's much better to spend our time becoming resilient, you know, creating, you need to save money for sure, because you need that for your financial resiliency and flexibility. Should you, you know, want to change jobs or, you know, something bad happens and you can't work for a while. So it's important to save, but I wish we could change the focus on away from saving for retirement instead of saving for life transitions. Appreciate that. That's probably easier for people to get their arms around than some abstract time way in the future that they don't know if it'll ever get here or not. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, the and I think um, financial advisors do, you know, are kind of perpetuating a, a myth that this travesty of you know doing these projections thirty years <laughs> out. I, I have yet to have a, proje- a projection that's correct within a week <laughs> or two after you do it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, all we can probably be sure of is it's not going to look like this. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so there's there's a couple of things, a, a couple more things that just have popped up through the throughout the course of our conversation, and I don't deal directly with employee benefits, but I am certainly aware of the fact that the cost to employers keeps going up and up and up. So 
just advice that you might give to an organization on helping their employees to be healthier and I, I hate to say advice to an individual on becoming healthier because but perhaps that's something that you want to take a stab at well you know and this this is coming from the physician side and and I've seen a lot and I can tell you our bodies are pretty resilient up to about age 40 so you know you can party and be overweight and all that um, and and still recover and live a fairly healthy life unless you just go too far off the edge under that but once you get to that 40 to 60 it gets a lot harder and people who do a great job taking care of themselves early and then especially between that age 40 and 60, they tend to have a very a, a longer, more happier life up to, you know, when they're dying now in their 80s or 90s. I call it the live long, die quickly sort of philosophy and, you know, live, live well long as opposed to people who don't take care of themselves, you know, and they start getting all these medical problems in their late 50s, early 60s. They're spending more time at the doctor, more money at the doctor. Um, they don't feel great. And it makes it hard when you don't feel great to get healthy again. You know, so once if you're overweight, once you get that arthritis, it makes it harder to exercise. You know, if you smoke, it's hard to, to get off the cigarettes and for your lungs to heal once they've reached what I call the point of no return. So, you know, it's all a daily practice. And I tell people, if you fail one day and you party too hard, start over the next day. Make certain you exercise, you know, do what you can to take care of yourself because the better you do, the lower your health care costs are going to be in given all of it, unless you get something unlucky, um, you know, but as far as the preventable risk factors, and you're just going to enjoy life more. I appreciate that. And I'm 39 now and turning 40 here in a couple of months. <laughs> so it, it is time the doctor tells me to stop messing around. So <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, you lose that flexibility. So it's, it's important to do it right. Got it. So finding happiness now, there was a, within the last couple of months, Warren Buffett, uh, there, he was in the news saying that even if you doubled your net worth, it wouldn't really make you any happier. But he, he did say, he said, so stop trying to get rich and, you know, you could still try to get rich, but at least be happy and have fun in the process. And I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about to a degree. Um, do you have different tools or good questions or things that you ask people to think about? to help them to live happy day to day? Well, one of the things that that we do right off the bat when we do financial plans for people is like, tell us about your life now and are, you know, are you satisfied with what you're doing and how you're spending your time now? And, and you know, what, what about your current situation could you improve? And we talk about, you know, what are things you haven't done that you would have liked, liked to do? And, and so how make people think, you know, because when people come to a financial advisor, there it's usually always that same question about, oh, when can I retire? Or, you know, am I doing the right thing with my money? Well, I don't know. Are you spending it right? <laughs> right. You know, are you spending it on the right things? And if people are having issues around, you know, they're unhappy or um, they're, if they're in general unhappy and if it, and it's not like a therapy issue, you know, there's a great book I recommend to everybody. It's called Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. And it just talks about ways you can cult cultivate your happiness. And I, I've read that book like four times in my life just to give myself a refresher course on. And it's a 
you know, like saying, saying things you're grateful for every day. And my husband and I have been doing that now for about 10 years. Every morning we say five things we're grateful for. Two, the first two are, I'm grateful for you, I'm grateful for the cats. <laughs> and then the other three are usually something that happened in the last day. And then three things we appreciate each other for. And, you know, people are getting relationships. And when you get too close to people, you forget to treat them right sometimes. And so always treating the people that you're close to and you love better than you treat your best friend. And, you know, so, so cultivating those behaviors that make, make you a joy to be around and, and make others joyful to be around you. And so, um, and if people have, you know, serious issues around that, we, we encourage them to get therapy because every, every family has poop. There's not a family out there that doesn't have issues. And then um, as far as like if they don't like their jobs, what can we do instead of them, you know, working their rear end off and trying to save for a day they don't have to work? Can we help them figure out a job where they would like to work longer and where they're enjoying themselves and being productive? And we've done that with a number of clients. Made them, they've taken sabbaticals. They've gone back to school, totally switched careers. So, and I'm, you know, I'm a living testament to that one. I didn't hate medicine. I actually loved patient care. I just didn't really love the culture of medicine. And I still actually volunteer at a homeless shelter as a doctor. So I, I get that fix of um, taking care of patients, but without the headache of the um, whole medical establishment, right? right now right well that is great stuff and i i i tell you what the the smart money and the really intelligent folks all talk about how important it is to practice gratitude on a daily basis and how impactful that is so i don't understand why everybody doesn't do it you know you get caught up in your stuff and Mm -hmm. you know you forget in fact my husband went through a month um, a long, long time ago, it has, it, it's like two years after we started doing Gratefuls, and um, he says, I'm tired of doing this. And then after about a month, I said, you're becoming really kind of a like a poopy dog, and you've <laughs> got to start back. And, and he re- recognized that he's right, and we've never quit since. Uh, awesome. Well, Carolyn, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? My difference-making tip, gosh, we've talked about it already so much, and that's making certain that you're doing everything to um, create financial peace and resiliency today. So it's like looking at yourself, how do you spend money, how how much is what I call um, thoughtful spending versus thoughtless spending, and then making certain you're setting money aside to to take care of yourself should something happen and you can no longer do what you're doing or putting money aside so that you can make a transition should the world not deliver what you want and you need to make a career change. That is great stuff and that definitely gets a come on. Come on. So Carolyn, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Um, well, lifeplanningpartners.com is our website, but I write regularly for Forbes, so you can just Google Carolyn McClanahan at Forbes, and you'll see my, um, you know, usually weekly missives there, and I also write for Financial Planning Magazine. Awesome. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Carolyn (laughs) your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to Life Planning Partners, um, what was the website again? It's um, www.lifeplanningpartners.com. And check out her Forbes articles as well. Thank you again, Carolyn. Okay, you take care. Thank you so much. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together.
What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!